Oh, did you know Julia Roberts' middle name was Fiona? I did. What? I don't know why I knew that, but I did. Man. Welcome to episode 98 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I'm not in this episode. And my name is Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. It's an interview. Yeah, this is an interview episode. Okay. So a few weeks ago, Thomasville hosted its Plantation Wildlife Arts Festival. Uh-huh. And I had the opportunity to sit down with author and entertaining guru, um, James Farmer. And so we ran that episode already. Right. But I also had the opportunity to sit down with Julia Reed. Um, so Julia is a contributing editor to Vogue and Newsweek, but she also at least to Southerners, is most famous for being an editor of Garden and Gun magazine. So she contributes and writes a column for Garden and Gun. And she, like James, is an entertaining kind of lifestyle Maven. expert. Yeah. And has written some cookbooks and some entertaining books, but then also some really delightful humor kind of memoir books. Cool. So yeah, Julia and I got to sit down and chat about Southern hospitality, holiday entertaining, that kind of thing. And you were on an actual front porch, as I understand it. it well, yes, we had a few scheduling snafus leading up to recording the episode, and it looked like we weren't going to get to do this at all until um, until a woman in Thomasville, like a regular customer, kind of suggested that we use her back porch. So we sat on her back porch, and it was delightful. And I hope the sound quality is good because it was really fun. It'll be all right. So I hope you enjoy this interview from the back porch. So we're going to keep this easy. I'm going to do an intro of you later. Um, But I had a few questions. So your publisher, so I'm in the book world, right? Your publisher describes you as, and I do love this, a master of the art of eating, drinking, and being merry. (laughs) And I have to ask, is that something that came naturally to you like were you born with that descriptor or have you grown into that phrase well um (laughs) hopefully that's not what I'm all about but (laughs) um uh I grew up in the Mississippi Delta which is uh still you know largely agricultural um and there's a long tradition of you know having to entertain yourself there. I mean, so you, if you're born in the Delta, you learn to master the art of making merry, you know, on your own pretty <laughs> early because it's not a place that has lots of restaurants. I mean, there's right. one legendary restaurant called Doe's Eat Place, which is this steakhouse, but. Um, you know, they have hot tamales, fried shrimp, steak, and spaghetti. Right. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's like you can, you, you can eat there maybe three times a week, which I actually do when I go home, but that's a bit, otherwise you die. So, um, you know, so when you had parties, you like my mother, I just grew up watching my mother and all of her closest friends throw, I mean, they were throwing a party like every other night, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, uh, and it was they were always so creative. I mean, I remember uh, there's a photograph of myself at like four sitting at a dinner table. I mean, like on a terrace, like, you know, with my with with like my same age group friends at a dinner. My parents had given us, a, I mean, our two mothers had given us like a dinner party mm-hmm. on Easter. And they had, and, I, mean, I mean, we were all dressed up in our Easter finery. And there right. were votive candles that these two crazy women, my mother and her best friend, had made by dripping 
like different stripes of Easter egg colors in a blown out Easter egg. I mean, I wouldn't have the patience to do that now, although right. I mean, now that I'm talking about it, I might have to do that this Easter, but <laughs> I mean, so it's like we grew up thinking that we should have candlelit dinner parties at four, so, right. you know, it did kind of come naturally. So you were trained. I was trained in well. In of <laughs> hospitality. So, um... So I interviewed James Farmer a couple of weeks ago. He is also here in Thomasville this weekend. Yeah, he's a great friend. And he and I were talking about hospitality, and he said something that stuck with me. He said, you know, you don't hear anybody talk about northern hospitality. And I thought, <laughs> oh, gosh, you don't. And I wondered, why do you think hospitality is seen as this really southern trait? You know, it's, I don't know, call it the climate, call it whatever. I mean, we have genuine warmth I mean, in every sense of the word. But, you know, I, one time I did a piece, it was like the first food piece I ever wrote, I think. Um, sort of describe, somebody asked me to, to write about why Southern food is different. And, you know, it sort of spilled over into Southern entertaining as well. And it, uh, it, was, it was, I was classic, you know, late on a deadline thinking, what am I going to say? And I went to a bookstore, mm -hmm. <laughs> always a good thing to do. That's right. And um, it was this great bookstore that had like a whole um, shelf of Junior League cookbooks from all these cities in the country. Wow. And that is like, to me, if you can find a Junior, junior League cookbook, it is the window into the culture of a city. That's totally so true. <laughs> all the Yankee Junior League cookbooks were called stuff like Posh Pantry. I mean, they were just uptight sound, and you didn't even want to open them up. You know, and then the southern ones were like, talk about good, exclamation point. You know, there's actually talk about good one, two, and three from Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, the Jackson, Mississippi Junior League cookbook is called Come On In. I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. it's like this. You no, want to open true. those up. And then I looked at the recipes, and in the Boston Junior League cookbook, the first dessert you, you open up to was grape nuts pudding. And... Who wants to eat that? And then there was one from Alabama and, like, Aunt Margie's better than sex cake. I'm like, okay, yep. great nuts or sex. It's a no-brainer. But, I mean, so it's it's that kind of exuberance, I think, about food and entertaining. And uh, people stop by in the South, yeah. you know? I mean, like, so you've always got to have a cheese straw or a roasted pecan available. And the bar has got to, you know, needs yeah. to be set up and ready to go any old time of the day. Um I, you know, I became an accidental food writer because I used to mostly write about politics and, and yes, all kind of stuff. I wrote for Vogue for 20 years. Um, and while I was at Vogue, uh, still in the late 90s, I had a party for a colleague who was leaving, and I served what I always serve, like mm -hmm. what my mother serves when she has a big cocktail party, like deviled eggs mm -hmm. and pimento cheese finger sandwiches and ham biscuits mm -hmm. and sister Schubert's rolls with uh, rare tenderloin on them. Right. And this was a period of time in New York where if you got like some dried up saute on a stick, that was like the good news. <laughs> All right. They'd never, it was like my group was, it was like for a friend of mine who was leaving magazines. So he, this was like a group of people who had never seen this food at my house. Right. Big old bowl of lump crab meat tossed with homemade mayonnaise like they do at Galatoire's, that kind of thing. I mean, so literally the next morning, I got a phone call. A guy that was there was an editor at the New York Times Magazine, and he asked me if I would write their monthly food column. I mean, their weekly food column. Wow. So I did it every other week for like three and a half years. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is literally how it happened. Half the people in Thomasville, Georgia could have gotten a job. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> all they do is make a good deviled egg. I mean, yeah. you know. So that, I think, you know, we don't, it's food that tastes good, parties that are fun. I mean, I, you know, last night somebody asked me at, at the event that I was talking at um, what uh, 
you know, how do you have, I mean, what's the rule of having a great party? And mm-hmm. I said, only have a party if you want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, do not do it for duty. Do not do it to pay somebody back. Only do it because you really yourself want to have a good time because yeah. that's what sets the tone. So you and I, you grew up in the Mississippi Delta. We were talking before recording that I grew up in Tallahassee. Um, and Tallahassee is very different from Thomasville. And I am dying to know, what is the least Southern thing about you? Oh, well, I talk really fast, for one thing. <laughs> Although, I'm convinced that's a Southern thing, because my mother-in-law is from Birmingham, and she talks a mile Well, my father is Southern as the day is long, and he talks faster than anybody. I spent my entire childhood translating for him. <laughs> um, gosh, the least Southern thing about me, um, probably that I always wear black, as you can see, because yeah. um, <laughs> I travel so much, and I used to get teased when I lived in New York. It's like, oh, the New Yorker's home um, when I came <laughs> home, because I just life is too short to have to be making a lot of decisions so if I just have black clothes it's easy there you um, go. yeah I would think that that so yeah I my don't... mother's always telling me to wear more lipstick and wear color and it's just never gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> all right what is the most southern thing about you Oh, God. I mean, I come from a... There's a book written about the Mississippi Delta called The Most Southern Place on Earth, and that's a double-edged sword. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff about that. (laughs) Our history, not so great all the time. Uh, The most Southern thing about me, well, hopefully, you know, being a really good hostess... you know, I love to this day, if you put me in a car with the air conditioning blaring and um, the radio turned up really high and all the windows down and I'm drinking a cold Bud Light with the beer hugger on it, I am like the happiest girl in the world. That's pretty southern. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I missed the most when I lived in New York. And when I came home, you could fly in all the way to Greenville, Mississippi, my hometown. So when I used to come home, I, instead of doing that, um, I would stop. I would change. You know, instead of changing planes in Memphis, I would rent a car in Memphis and drive through the Delta so I could smell that dirt and chemical smell that is like Proust Madeline to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've already kind of alluded to this, but um, I think that this episode is going to kind of run around the holidays. So the secret to a successful holiday soiree is well. The holidays usually mean you got some relatives on hand, so you need to have a lot of booze. Um, <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> Somebody said, you know, around good, I think it was Oscar Wilde said, you know, with good food, even one's relatives are, are, are tolerable. I'd say good food and a lot to drink. I mean, like, so I always have a big old pitcher or bowl of milk punch available. I mean, uh, uh, but no, the holidays, the secret to having fun is, is uh, again, just being open to making merry, as you mentioned uh, when we sat down. I mean, uh, Everybody stresses out a lot about yeah. the holidays. Like, oh, God, I've got to cook 32 casseroles. And, oh, right. my gosh. I mean, try to have fun with it. I mean, it's fun to decorate. You can be goofy if you want to. I mean, I always, like, I found a place where you can order um, turkey uh, bones, like replicas of them. You know? Yeah, like wishbones. <laughs> wishbones. So everybody, I make everybody make a wish, you know. And, um, uh you know, I still like, I'm a grown person, and I still have surprise balls at, at uh, tables for birthdays, so a Christmas cracker is right up my alley. Yeah. I mean, everybody is, like, a little bit more laid back if they are forced to wear a paper crown if they just got out of a cracker. Yeah, if we're all more like children again, like yeah, sitting at the I kids' mean, table. Yeah, I mean, the kids' table is a good place to be. and um, I refuse to grow out of it. I know. Well, I think the table should always be the kids' table. Yeah. I mean, let's have some fun here. Let's make some toast and... And let's wear a funny hat if it needs if that if it comes to that. I mean, I just feel like um, 
you know, it's it's I've I've been but the, one of the most fun dinner parties I've been at recently. Somebody got in a fight about politics, but it was like a good fight, not like the nastiness that sort of permeated this election. Yeah. Uh, and a friend very good naturedly hit another uh, friend in the head with a piece of French bread. Um, <laughs> so you know, as long as you're having sort of fun food fights as opposed to really gritty, horrible, bitter fights, then I think we'll all be better off. Just let off your steam that way. So that actually, that's one of my next questions, because you've written about politics, you write about entertaining, we have just endured Yeah, no, the worst election I've ever, I mean, let me just tell you how happy I am that I'm writing about food this season instead of tromping around after these candidates this year. Yeah, and so we're all about, especially, I don't know if it's just a Southern thing, perhaps it's nationwide, but I know, for example, I'm about to go spend time with people who are politically different than mm-hmm. I am. Yeah, well, that's good. Again, that's the holidays for you. Right. <laughs> and so what's your, you know, you have written about politics and entertaining. These are two things that we're told don't mix, right? Don't ask people about their politics. Don't talk about politics at dinner. And I'm thinking, how can I avoid talking about this at dinner with these people? What's your tip for, I mean, aside from hitting people over the head with French bread? Well, yeah, no, it's like, <laughs> I mean, I just think, God, I mean, I really do think we just have to pray to, uh, to put this behind us and go on. I mean, like, you know, whoever's got hard feelings and whoever is feeling all uh, gloaty um, uh, needs just to, to, to put that to bed during the holiday season, I think. And it's a good way to, to, to sort of go into the inaugural season. Just putting it behind us and looking forward and, and, and being grateful, uh, no matter how you feel about the election, for the fact that we still live, you know, in a pretty good place. I just interviewed... Um, Bill and Melinda Gates for a profile that I wrote of Melinda in the Wall Street Journal magazine, WSJ. And she, I've just never been more impressed with two people in my life. It Mm -hmm. was just a gift to be able to spend time with them. But, you know, so I asked Bill Gates, he's not, I mean, he's the richest man in the world. And, uh, you know, they're not really going to give their, they're leaving almost all their fortune to the foundation. And I said, you know, and I said, so you're not leaving your kids any money? He's like, well, they're already better off than most kids in the world. Because he's got this global perspective. I mean, they spend a lot of time in places like, you know, Ethiopia and Rwanda and whatever. And uh, he said, for one thing, they were born in America. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then he went on to, you know, and he said, then they've had the best education money can buy. And so they're already like, you know, 95% ahead of the game. But it's, you know, I thought, God, he's right. For one thing, they were born in America. I mean, that almost like made me cry. So that's what you need to be thinking about during this holiday season. That's so true. Um, you have lived and explored all over the South. If you're on a Southern road trip, what are your favorite places to stop? Where do you oh, like gosh. To- well, I mean, one of my favorite road trips is what I just described, driving from Memphis through the heart of the Delta. Um, and as soon as you get into Mississippi, there's a place called the Hollywood Cafe in Hollywood, Mississippi. And they like they invented the fried dill pickle, which to me mm. is a great gift to mankind. <laughs> and um, so I stop at the Hollywood and get myself some fried dill pickles and a catfish sandwich. Or I go to uh, just pat, not long past that in Tunica is the Blue and White Cafe. Uh-huh. And I grew up as a kid. That's where you stop to go to the bathroom and get a candy bar, <laughs> get gas, you know, when you were on your way to Memphis. Um and so that's a sentimental place, but they have a great burger um, and a great plate lunch, uh, you know, um, and then by that time you're ready for a cold one and you keep on going. I mean, there's so many great places. There's the, then you get, you know, you can go through Clarksdale on Highway 61 and then I cut over to this ancient highway, Highway 1 that really hugs the Mississippi River and takes me right on into to my hometown. And, and uh, in a town called Rosedale, there's a great... Uh, 
Hot Tamale Shack called the White Front Cafe, and mm -hmm. it's kind of really special. And uh, then you hit Benoit, and there's the Baby Doll House where uh, they filmed the very demented movie Baby Doll, which I recommend everybody watch because it's astonishing. It's, <laughs> it's one of Tennessee uh, Williams' weirdest mashup of short stories, and Elia Kazan uh, uh, directed it at this house that's right outside my hometown. It's oh, kind of wow. cool. Um, uh, and that's something to see. Um, what other road trips do I mean? I love driving through. Uh, I mean, I love almost any back road mm -hmm. road trip. You know, um, you see so much more that way. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, I love the photographs of like William Christenberry, who photographed these same buildings over periods of times on back roads in Georgia and Alabama, especially. And, I have some because they just remind me of, of, of great road trips. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a Mississippi girl, so I'm, I'm a little spoiled. But, Partial. Yeah. I've noticed, I guess, in recent years, we've seen um, an uptick, I feel like, in the Southern has kind of exploded, so the Southern isn't regional yep. anymore. We've seen, like, the Bitter Southerner. Um, Garden and Gun. Garden and Gun. We've seen even, like... A-list movie star, you know, Reese Witherspoon, Draper James. Like, I, I just feel like the Southern is becoming more, I don't know, it's it's less regional. No, well, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think that what, I don't think that what that means is not that the South is losing its identity. Right. Which has been, people have been trying to make that case forever. Uh, it means that the South is creeping into pockets of the world that could benefit from our Yeah, I, well, I think so. Like, it's expanding. No, it really is. I and mean, I think Garden and Gun is, is a, is a, has been a really sort of engine of that. And I'm not just saying that because I write a column for them. Uh, I love to read the magazine. But they, you know, it's, it's their food issue sells like crazy yes. every year. Um, people have never heard of pimento cheese just in the late 90s when I was, I mean, that wasn't all that long, you know, like less than 20 years ago when I had a party with ham biscuits and pimento cheese, nobody knew what the hell they were. And now like the Garden and Gun cover has a ham biscuit on it and yep. it's like a bestseller. Uh, you know, um, uh, they're made in the South Awards, magazines made in the South Awards, sort of, like, sort of everything that the South has always been about is now like this sort of national sort of like in the zeitgeist artisanal. Well, I mean, every, you know, we a lot of handmade stuff down here because we didn't have much of a choice <laughs> right. or farm to table. Also, necessity around here. I right. mean, you know, we had a vegetable garden because it, the Kroger, <laughs> we couldn't get anything but like, you know, artichokes and canned green peas right. um, uh, when I was a kid. So, you know. Um, until I had an until my next door neighbor put in an asparagus bed, I thought all asparagus was sort of brownish green and mushy from Belmont. <laughs> uh, uh, so you know, all of those things that that are now like sort of the national craze. I mean, like the cocktail craze. Well, where was a cocktail invented? New Orleans, you know. Right. Uh, and southern food has, like I said, has always just tasted good. I mean, like who doesn't eat? Fr I mean, don't, who doesn't want fried chicken? It's like one of the greatest things in the world, right? So now I'm in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, visiting a friend, and there is a restaurant called the Prairie Whale. All right, you can't get more northern than any of that stuff, right? <laughs> um, and I, it's like the best fried chicken I've ever tasted. Really? So, you know, not only are, is it spreading, but they're learning how to do it well. Yeah. Um, you know, you can go to Brooklyn and get a fried dill pickle or, a, you know, a great Vieux-Carré cocktail and a pimento cheese sandwich. Right. Which I which I think is a good thing. Oh no, it's a total good thing. I mean, because it's it's nice for change, for people to uh, see the best side of the South. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I I think so too. So I'm grateful for that kind of movement. All right, we've got four questions that I always ask everybody who oh, comes gosh. on the podcast. High pressure. I know. So the first one is, what is a classic book that you've never read but you wish you had? 
Oh, gosh. Well, War and Peace, because it's been on my bedside table for like a million years. And I love Tolstoy, and I've read Anna Karenina twice, and I don't know what it is. And there's a new translation, so that's I'm going to do this. I'm glad you reminded me. My <laughs> yeah. New Year's resolution. By the end of January, I will have read War and Peace. There you go. I'll be in touch. I'll, okay. see, I'll see how that works for you. Um, okay, this is a podcast. I'm curious. Do you listen to podcasts? And if so, which ones? I am, like, so pathetic as far as this kind of stuff goes. I, I, you know, I know I need to listen to podcasts, and so, again, you've inspired me. I'll start. You should tell me which podcast I should listen to. I'm certainly going to listen to yours from now on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I do think on a southern road trip, music is great, but occasionally a podcast is really okay. great, too. So if you can find a good series to listen to, you should try. No, I totally will. I mean, right now I'm just addicted to Sirius XM and I, you know, on radio, and I don't know what I would do because I'm in the car all the time. I don't yeah. know what I'd do without it. The loft is my home. <laughs> um, okay, what is your favorite part about life in the South? Oh, just the fun we have, you know, and, and I just the sort of, I just do feel like you know, like I said earlier, that sort of the ability to make, I mean, to make your own fun and the ability to laugh at yourself. Those are the two things that I sort of missed when I lived in the urban north. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we've traditionally needed to laugh at ourselves a lot <laughs> with good reason to, but it's a good trait to have. And uh, so, you know, nobody takes themselves too seriously down here, which is another good thing to that keep is. in mind during this post-election season. Um, but, you know, in, in, the, in my book, for example, there's a chapter uh, that's a picnic in, on a sandbar in the middle of the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, why not? I mean, I don't know why we didn't start doing that earlier on, but, uh, you know, this it sort of has evolved, but I mean, a few years ago, a bunch of us just got on a boat and had a bucket of chicken, and we went out to the sandbar, and it was kind of like being Huck Finn, and um, I just love a place where you can just kind of do that. Now we've gotten so elaborate, it's ridiculous. We've got Oriental rugs out there, and the guys build the girls like a, a ladies' room out of uh, willow branches cut off from the banks, and so we have a little ladies' room teepee in there, and... and We've got, you know, a full bar, and we do a shrimp boil, and a friend of mine is a blues pianist, and she brings her, like, a little electric keyboard out there. And we have, like, <laughs> dance parties on the sandbar, and people, towboats go by, and the deckhands are looking at us like, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, we're like a mirage out there in the middle of nowhere with, you know, a bartender and you know, so dancing fun. around. I love that that picture I'm getting in my head. So, you know, I, I just, I love living in a place where, you know, one morning you can wake up and make that happen. Mm-hmm. We are bookie people on this podcast, so what are you reading right now? Oh, gosh, I'm reading a bunch of stuff. Uh, I just got on a, uh, a friend of mine went to Ireland uh, on a trip, and I pressed into his hands um, a lot of, a couple of uh, William Trevor's short story collections and a, and a novel. William Trevor, Trevor is one of my favorite writers. He's sort of like the Irish version of Chekhov, I think. Um, he's so, and he's very Southern in his romanticism and uh, his language. You know, I think Ireland and, and, and the South has so much oh, in wow. common. I've never felt more at home in my life than in Africa and Ireland for obviously good reasons. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I, so I started rereading William Trevor um, again and, and discovering some new things that I, he's so prolific. I, so I've been on a total jag there and I'm di- it makes me want to just go immediately to Ireland. Um, uh, I'm rereading some Walker Percy because I, I, I reread at least one Walker Percy novel a year. So you're a rereader. I am a rereader, but I've got, and what else do I, then, you know, Guilty Pleasure, the new Jack Reacher, Lee Child novel. Yeah. I'll be swallowing that hole probably this weekend. I probably won't get out of the bed tomorrow. Um, you know, um, 
what else am I reading? Oh, and then, then I'm reading the new James Lee Burke just because I just, you know, I, again, guilty pleasure, not not hard on the noggin, but, you know, right. he's he's he can be a little florid with his language, but now I'm so used to him, he's like an old friend. Right. Um, oh, which is kind of nice, yeah. actually. Well, thank you so much. Was that painless? It was totally painless, <laughs> and I can't wait to come and shop in the bookstore right now. I know. Now. I hope you'll come see us. Um, all right. Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you for having me. You can find full episodes of From the Front Porch on iTunes or on our store website. That's bookshelfthomasville.com. And if you want to leave us a voice message for our upcoming 100th episode, you have three minutes to do so <laughs> starting now. No, not really. Um, but if you go to our store website, again, that's bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash front porch. You will find a link there to send us a recording. We will listen to everything that gets sent to us and we will respond to some of them live. Well, as live as this podcast gets. Um, and as always, check us out on our social media accounts at Bookshelf TV on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you guys next week.